0: The vision very early was quite clear. We actually, in the early days, we even, when we had the office at home, you know, we put up a whiteboard on the wall and we wrote the vision at the very top. We said, Ireland's biggest classifieds website. That was the vision. And I kind of felt that that's a great vision. When I read that, it gives me energy. I go, I'd love to reach that.
1: The Architects of Business on Joe, In partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year where you will hear the inspirational stories behind some of Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Sonia Lennon and today I will be speaking with Fred Carlson, founder of online marketplace sensation, Dundeal. The company started in May 2005 when Fred and his Irish wife, Geraldine, moved back from Sweden. It started out as a weekend gig but soon grew into the most important classified website in Ireland. Fred Carlson, thank you so much for joining us today on Architects Business. Thank you so much. Your story is fantastic. I'm already excited to, to go through it but what I always like to do is to start at the beginning. So despite your very convincing Irish accent at this stage. Your story didn't start here. So tell us a little bit about growing up in Sweden and what formed the Fred that we see today.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I lived in Sweden until I was, what, 25 or something like that.
1: And you were born there?
0: Yeah, yeah. oh, for sure. <clears throat> and grew up around, had no intentions of moving anywhere else. I, I loved Sweden. Uh, Sweden is a great place in many ways. I grew up in a small town, um, in in Sweden, right in the middle, right in between Malmo and Stockholm, actually, but near to nowhere. It's like three <laughs> hours, three hours right in between them, but three hours from either one. So okay. you never really saw Stockholm or the big cities. In so I grew up. I'm a really small town boy, um, and uh, great. It was a great town to grow up in. You know, loads of friends, uh, easy to get around. You cycle everywhere, safe, uh, all that kind of stuff. And. Uh, as I grew up, I, I quickly got into computers. Like, yeah. um, I started writing computer games and selling computer games with a friend when I was fourteen. And where did that come from? Um, I don't know. I, I I think I was always into I was always into building things. You know, in, engineering kind of. Yeah. Uh, my dad uh, kind of has an engineering background, and so I was always into the making of things. And then when these computers came out, and you could make stuff by just writing code, and suddenly a little. P- popped up on the screen and you could move it and stuff. I, I was going, this is, this is fascinating. You know, you, you can do so much that is visual very quickly. Um, and I just got hooked. And I had a friend as well who who also was into, into it. So we bought the same type of computer and we broke the games together, you know. And it, it helps when there's two of you. Big time. You know, if, if it was only me, you'd probably get bored at that age, you know, very quickly. But two of us, and we you know, we, I remember even we sold a game and we, we made the equivalent of... 80 euros uh, at a time, which was huge money for Massive. us. You know, so you were
1: what, 15, 16? 14 at the time. 14 yeah, at the time. Yeah,
0: for the first game. and <clears throat> Now, then we lost interest in in that. We st- still kept writing a little bit of games and stuff, but we never got into scaling it up in any way. It was just kept a hobby until I, um, then I joined, when I went to the university, I decided, okay, let's actually study this a little bit and see what, how to actually do it, how mm-hmm. to do it for real. Um, and I ended up sp- studying uh, two years of computer science in, in university, and then I said, well, this is, this is all very interesting, but uh, to me, the magic is not just about the technology, it's about when the technology meets the other sides of life. Uh, so I decided I, I, want, I need to broaden my mind a little bit. So I, I studied a year of HR management, and a year of finance.
1: HR management and finance. Yeah. They seem like unlikely bedfellows for yeah. a technologist.
0: Yeah, and I think that was a little bit of the point. Um, I was always fascinated by psychology, as uh, so, well, you know, how, how people think and how the brain works. And HR management, this was kind of a HR slash psychology course, it, it's kind of a mishmash of it. Uh-huh. Um, so I think I actually went into it more for the psychology, not realizing there was actually a lot of focus on more kind of corporate psychology and how how does. This, uh, how do you use psychology in the HR context? Uh, but it ended up being really great because it was much more about how, how do you actually work with people, not just analysing one person and, and their problems, but more about how do you develop people? How do you, uh, yeah, how, how do, how, what does good leadership look like? Yeah. What does it mean? Um,
1: <clears throat> and, and we will definitely talk a little bit more about that because I, I love your philosophy around that. But what I'm interested in is at that point, Having done your two years of computer science, were you already thinking about business and how these other strands could uh, round you out as a businessman?
0: I don't think so. No, that's the way to... Uh, that's highly... retrofitting. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it was more about, I, you know, you, you have a curious mind. As a student, mm-hmm. you have a curious mind. You want to learn stuff. And so I said, I want to learn something else. I've, I've learned a good bit of computers. Not that I'm a total expert at it, but I want to see other stuff. What does that, you know, what, what, what do the other people do? Because it, you talk to all these other students, and you can see, can very often see the difference between the law student versus the IT nerd versus, uh, you know, the college student. They, they look different, they talk different. Then. And I was always fascinated by that difference. And I said, I, I, want I want a piece of that, and I want a piece of that.
1: Do you see that as unusual? Because I see it as unusual. And I think the reason that those student groups look different is because they do tend to silo themselves in one unit. So what you did in kind of dipping a a foot into other waters is quite an unusual thing to do, I think.
0: Probably. It it wasn't to me. At the time, you know, you're a student. You you don't think that whole much about what you do. You know, you jump on things, jump on opportunities and stuff. So there was no grand plan behind it. Uh, But... Yeah, I guess it is unusual, yeah.
1: And I'm going to ask the question, I don't know how valid it is, but do you think that the learning culture and the educational system in Sweden perhaps facilitated that a little bit more?
0: From what I've heard from my wife, she's Irish, um, I I do believe they I mean, we grew up with very proactive teachers and and a school system that, you know, enticed you to go out and learn stuff yourself um, rather than Trying to just recite stuff I, I, I get the feeling that the Irish system at at least then was very much about you learn for the test that yeah. was it while the Swedish at least our school was very much set up about you know well you, you need to learn certain things, but then I, we want you to go off and explore this stuff and Context explore that yeah, and like we got you know we had a very good chemistry teacher who gave us access to the chemistry lab outside ours, and most of the time we did decent stuff and lot, sometimes <laughs> you do
1: and yet endless possibilities yeah. for chaos <laughs> yeah exactly you know,
0: there was a few fire accidents and I things bet there like was. that I you know, bet that, there yeah, was but... <laughs> so
1: you you mentioned Geraldine your yeah. wife um, how, how did you two come to meet
0: we <clears throat> we met in Dublin so i came over to ireland in 97 uh, my idea this is just I was just out of college, and my idea was let 's let 's move abroad for a little while, just to see some other culture, work a little bit. My plan was basically to be in Ireland for six months and i 've been here now for eighteen years okay. so the six months have got extended a tiny bit, so okay. yeah, we're still working on that um, but yeah, so I came over it, and the reason I came to Dublin again it wasn 't any major plan it was I was into i t I could get a night job in IT and Irish companies at the time this company I don't know if you remember them Gateway 2000 mm-hmm. they're up close to the airport That's right and they make computers like Dell yeah. <clears throat> and they were recruiting people Swedish people to their customer support in Dublin so they came over to Sweden and interviewed in Sweden they paid for the flight over they paid for moving a few boxes over they arranged a place to stay the first month, They set up my bank account, They you did know, all the tax registration. So it's just easy, you know, and you come out as a student, someone offers you, yeah, come over Do and work this. with us. see for, how it works out. For a while, you know, yeah. and, and we pay for it. And you go, of course, I'm on. And I came over and obviously I liked the place so much that I ended up staying for um, for much longer. Yes. At the time I met my wife two years after I moved to, to Dublin. Um, and at the time, I was kind of almost ready to move because Ireland is a great place. I love Ireland. That's, you know, I wouldn't stay here otherwise this long. It's, it's a great place, great people. It doesn't really have the weather, though, to be honest.
1: Okay, fair enough, Fred. <laughs> 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 Can't argue there. Yeah.
0: So, you know, you you start missing the... the like, Sweden as it gets cold winters and warm summers, we get a few you weeks We start missing of, a
1: climate, basically. Yeah,
0: you know, four seasons. <laughs> yes. Not just the one that yes. is tiny bit warmer, tiny bit yep. colder. And, and uh, so I was here for two years, and I was just about thinking of moving somewhere, and I met Jarlene. And I said, oh, "I' us stay around for a little while and see where, where this is going.
1: Temperate uh, climate's not so bad. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: But then about six months in, I, I remember I was in town in Dublin, uh, and it was the middle of July, and it was pouring rain and it was 12 degrees and really windy and it was just really, really cold and miserable. And I'm looking over to the side of the street and there's a big poster uh, ad for Coca-Cola and it says, summer is here. And There's all these people playing beach volleyball in, in you know, shorts and, and uh, bathing suits and stuff. And I was going, yeah, it doesn't get much more summer than this and here I am freezing. So I went back to Geraldine and said, I know we're not going out a long time, but I think we might have to move somewhere for a little while. And it was too early to move to Sweden. You know, okay. Was, you know the relationship wasn't at that stage because that's a big thing to move to someone else's country.
1: That's about the balance of power, really. Yeah, at that yeah, stage, exactly. Isn't it?
0: You know, so the, that that wasn't flying. Um, and I no, I wasn't even pushing for it. I knew that that's yeah. not on. So we decided to move to Australia, neutral ground, English speaking, easy to get jobs. She, like she's into IT as well, uh, so we. Uh, not, Did you try. meet in
1: Gateway? No.
0: No, I'd moved to another company by then. Um called Dretic at the okay. time. But uh and I, we actually met through a colleague. Okay. She a friend of hers was matchmaking her. Ooh. Heavily in the office to anything. Successfully. My, yeah, yeah. yeah was, <laughs> Eventually. I, I wasn't targeted anything. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, obviously worked Yeah, the, she came along to the wedding. Her friend came along Brilliant. to the wedding. She was delighted with herself there. Very good. Um, but anyway, yeah. So we moved to Australia for a while. Um, it was easy as an IT person. You're very, we're very, very lucky. It's so easy to get job anywhere you go. Um, so we worked there for a few months. Um, Travelled around for a while. Travelled around Southeast Asia. Moved back um, to Europe. But at that stage, we said, okay, let's let's try. Let's go for Sweden this time. Okay. So we lived in Sweden for a few years. Worked there. Um, and uh, we got married in Sweden, and a couple of months after the marriage, we moved to Ireland. Now, it was planned before. The plan was to move back to Ireland for a while. Um,
1: How did she persuade you to move well,
0: back? Well, very clever. You know, because <laughs> I, was, I was still living this dream of, yeah, we're, we're jet-setters. We move from country to country. We work a little bit in Australia. We work a little bit here. Nomadic you know? technologists. And by the time, you know, we came to the age where OK, now it's time to settle down. We happened to be in Ireland.
1: Convenient, Geraldine. Oh, she, she's, she did very well.
0: You know? And the worst part is she, she almost made me feel it's my idea to be there. So Clever. She's very good. Yeah. Is
1: she the strategist in the business?
0: For sure. By far. <laughs> oh, Excellent. No comparison.
1: Excellent. So you did start a business together.
0: Yes. So when we, when we come back from Sweden, like we lived in Sweden, we had an apartment full of uh, IKEA furniture, as, as you do. And we had to get rid of that when we moved. So, we sold that on a site that is very, a website that is very, very similar to Dondeel, yes. a Swedish website. And then we came back to Ireland, and this was in the end of 2004. And we were on the other side of the fence where we wanted to buy second furniture. And we realised there wasn't a good website. Ireland was I still stuck with, uh, you know, the little ads in the back yeah, of yeah. the magazine or, or the buy and sell paper. Yeah, you know, it's, and it says, blue three-seater sofa. Anyway, I have no idea what it looks like. How, how am I supposed to buy that? Um, well, on the Swedish site, it was all about the photos. You could see the sofa. You knew exactly what style it was. You knew it would if it would suit you, your your home. You know. So we said this this is magic. Like this exists in Sweden. Is we found really good. It's not an island yet. It's going to come to Ireland for sure. And maybe just maybe that can be us who do that.
1: So you're at a point where you have an idea that you know already works. You have a clear market. What happened next?
0: Well, the first step is to actually build the website. Now, our challenge is that we've been moving around a lot, so we don't have any money saved. So we both have daytime jobs in IT in, in, in Dublin. And we started to develop the website on the evenings and the weekends. Actually, the first thing is to think about... One of the first things is to think about a name for the company. Because you know, the Swedish... Name translates to Notepad. Okay. It's kind of, yeah, silly, stupid sounding. You know, it's it's not it doesn't have any energy. So we <clears throat> we had to come up with a name, and we did a, a great deal of research, uh, a very st- structured process that is called one bottle of wine in an evening. <laughs> <laughs> we basically, sat down with very a bottle expensive. of wine. Oh, facilitation. It's a, yeah, it's a very very exact process, you know. You sit down with a bottle of wine and then you write down all the ideas that come up. And then the day after, you try to decipher what you were writing. And the words doing a deal or dealing and done deal came up. And we just went for the name, done So deal.
1: It, there's dual ownership on the name?
0: Definitely. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, we're not sure. we're not sure important. who said what at towards good. the end there. <laughs>
1: very good. And what at that stage was your vision
0: for it? Um, the vision very early was quite clear. We actually, in the early days, we even, when we had the office at home, you know, we, we put up a whiteboard on the wall and we wrote the vision at the very top. We said, Ireland's biggest classifieds website. That was a vision. And I, I kind of felt that that's a great vision. It, when I read that, it gives me energy. I go, I'd love to reach that. You know, if we can reach that, that would be fantastic. So it gave a lot of energy. But I also want to qualify a little bit what does that mean? Because biggest is a bit. Yeah. You know being a nerd kind of i, I like numbers it has yes. to be numberized. you can't measure biggest because it can be biggest in different ways, so yes. underneath we said by number of users, by number of ads and by number of items sold we said, okay, this is how we measure that we have to be the biggest. we have to have most users on the website. It's the first thing, and then the number of things being sold on the website so. It's
1: beautifully clear, though, Fred, and it's it's actually—it's one of the things having having been surrounded by uh, founders and business people and startups. That sort of clarity is again probably more rare than you realize. To to have the vision for the company and the metrics by which to to capture that is is a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've realized in hindsight again that it's it was very powerful. It helped because top line gave me energy, and the other one gave gives focus structure because there's several times you know so i did most of the development on, on the website and my wife was a project manager basically we met every saturday we'd go down to the local cafe and we have a project meeting we have a cup of coffee and a project meeting and i basically tell her last week i did this and next week i'm planning to do this and she'd often then say i don't think you should do that <laughs> Because what I wanted to do, because I was a techie. And so that's I, not
1: the coffee I wanted. <laughs>
0: exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, but she, she was very good at ge- helping us stay, on focused, or stay focused on the right thing. Because as a techie, it's very easy to want to do the stuff that is really cool technically. Yes. But that is the stuff that most people can't use. Yes. So we need, because our top line was, our first metric was by number of users. We had to do websites that everyone could use. Yes. And keep in mind, this is 2005. Um, One, most people, like the internet penetration was only 30% of the population actually used the internet at all. and most websites were quite complicated to use. And there was different browser versions and different, you know, if, if you had a certain browser, you couldn't use a website and all this kind of stuff. So we had to have a website that worked in all types of different browsers.
1: Democratic platform.
0: Yeah, which is terrible as a, as a techie because you don't get to do the cool stuff. The cool yeah. stuff is, is in the new browsers, in the new technologies. Uh, but we had to focus on the stuff that worked for everyone. And it was great you know, in hindsight that we kept that focus because otherwise I would have gone off as a, on a techie tangent and done something that was really technically cool but no one or very few people could actually use it.
1: So so the the value of everything was its simplicity?
0: Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, that... It, the main goal was um, that... Like we had a... And this is for years in Dundee, we had a thing, I call it the mother-in-law test. So when we developed something new on the website, a new feature, a new something before we went live with it we put it up in the conference room and we all looked at it and said and i pictured my mother-in-law sitting in front of a computer what's your mother in
1: mother-in-law's name
0: mary mary have yeah. to give a shout out to mary yeah. <laughs> no, she's been a big part of it and i you know i tried to picture her sitting in front of the screen looking at this using it and if i saw her being confused by it if she was going i'm not sure what this does then we'd have to scrap it and go back to redesigned it again, because it wasn't good enough, because the goal was to always get everyone on the platform.. Okay.
1: So how long did it take um, between the germ of the idea, the bottle of wine, the name, the domain purchase, and and go live?
0: <coughs> um, so we came back to Ireland in end of 2004. We started program probably January 2005, launched in June 2005. Uh, I mean, keep in mind that we still had our daytime jobs, and it was a year and a half before I left my daytime job. Um, So we ran this in the weekends and the evenings. Um, But, yeah, so it took six months to to go live. Uh, We were lucky at that time. It was still, this 2005, it was still a big deal when a new website was launched. So our first marketing push... It's hard
1: to even (laughs) sort of register that now, that that would have been a thing, right?
0: Yeah. Our first marketing thing was just to send an email to all our friends... Um, and say, we launched a website. And they, because it was quite a big deal, they sent it to everyone, all of their friends. So we got a bit of traction just from sending one email like that. Amazing. Which is un- unheard of these days, you know. That's, yes. Um, and um, the next step on, on our marketing then was Google. Yeah. Google AdWords had just launched into Ireland, um, and there was no one else on the platform at the time, so we had free reign. We could buy all these clicks for next to nothing. We, I remember at the time we got clicks for down to one cent per click. These days, you're talking not cents, you're talking euros yes. for anything. And we got all... I think the average price for our clicks were three cents. Most A lot of them were one cent per click. Like it was amazing. Brilliant time for, for marketing online. You know We got Phenomenal. away with a lot for that.
1: And so, you mentioned that it was a year and a half um, before you left your full-time job what was the impetus around that what was the, what made you believe that you had it
0: um well it's it's very scary you know to leave your job so um, it's also you know myself and Geraldine we we had a family we had you know we were looking at uh, getting a mortgage and all this kind of stuff so it's not only about me anymore you have to grow up two things. of us yeah exactly it's very trying to be mature you know play mature um
1: it does sometimes feel like playing at though. Yeah, Yeah, it? of <laughs> course.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wing it. You have no idea. right? Absolutely. You know, just make it up. And so, we had said, basically, that we have to have a feeling that this can actually make money. Because, you know, in the early days, when we launched first, it was free to put up ads. So, yeah. the site wasn't making any money at all. Um,
1: and did you have the model in mind at that stage to, to transition to, to uh, pay
0: dad. a paid ad? Yeah. yeah, for sure. That, that was because this, we based this on the Swedish website. Gotcha. And on the Swedish website, you paid the equivalent of two two euros to put up your ad. Very good. Um, so that was always the idea. But we said in the beginning, to get the numbers up, yeah. I mean, you have to you have to have it free so you get a number of ads. Because yeah. keep in mind, our site, as much as I love the technology that, you know, the website that I wrote, our business was not about the website. It's about the ads that are on the website. It's about all the stuff that goes on. It's not about the technology. So... A big challenge for that is when you launch a website like ours, if, if there's nothing for sale on the website, it's a really crappy website. It doesn't matter. And
1: actually, it, it, to this day, content is yes. everything. Content and, and, came, and even I more think. so now. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I totally get that.
0: So, we are there on launch day and we're going, what are we going to do? We can't launch this. That we're, you know, if you look at this. nothing on it. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's a, people are going to go to it and they go, this is, yeah. this is rubbish. So, we went around the house. and Can took you remember
1: a f- your first ad?
0: Well, what we did was we had to fill up with something. And we had to make it look like there was, you know, people from kind of all over Ireland selling on this website. What did you
1: sell, Fred? So we went around the house
0: <laughs> and took a photo of every piece of item in the house, of sofas, f- chairs, tables, TVs, everything. How many, how
1: many profiles did you set up?
0: We had a lot, Yeah. <laughs> I think it was about 60 items on the website, and they're all being sold in different types of parts of the country and Hilarious. different names. And different... But then there was one thing I had put my brother-in-law's bicycle that I had borrowed to get around in Dublin. I put that up on the website, and for some reason, I put that with my phone number on it. So, people kept calling, actually wanted to buy this bicycle. Hilarious. And I, obviously, I can't sell my brother-in-law's bicycle. So... Because I keep you telling, do have
1: a soul at the end yeah, of the day.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I have to have to meet him at funerals <laughs> and weddings and all that, you know. So, uh, so I had to tell them, as no, 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 it's been soul, I'm taking it down now. But I, I want to keep it up, obviously, on the website to make it... You needed the content. Yeah, exactly. So, so, it was a few weeks there where it was a bit hairy. But then we started, other people started putting up stuff on the website and started, look, we could take down our things. So that was a great feeling, yeah.
1: Amazing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so, one of the biggest challenges that you faced in this wonderful vision of yours... It was getting, getting the people to fuel the growth. Once, once you started to grow, you yeah. had to set up a, a technology hub in yeah. rural Wexford.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so we, yeah, we moved down to Wexford um, shortly after we launched the website. And that's where it always grew out of. Um, and it's a big challenge for... It's a big step in. So, I went full-time first. A year later, my wife went full-time. Uh, and then we said, OK, now it's time to hire our first team member. Uh, and it was a big thing then because we...
1: And let me just get the chronology of this then right. You, you were full-time at this stage. Your, your traction point had hit. What, what, what was that traction point? I'm trying to think back over the conversation because I think we rambled around a good bit. What was yeah. the moment where you thought this is it?
0: Well, when I went full-time, the, the goal was that I could pay myself a small bit of salary. Yes. That And we still had a little bit to marketing. So I yes. took out a salary of 500 euros a month, I think, yeah. uh, was the goal. And once we made enough money on the website that I could take that salary, 500 a month, yeah. and we still had a bit left over to marketing, I went full-time. Fantastic. And then a similar then similar setup then for when Geraldine—well, uh, when Geraldine went full-time, we had to have a little bit more decent salaries because we had to be able to pay for ourselves. Um, and then, yeah, we started to make money and we said, OK, we can probably now afford— an employee, and we need to get an office at the same time then, um, because we couldn't really have until then we were sitting at home in an office, but it would feel weird to have third person sitting there in this <laughs> tiny little bedroom, you know. That's <laughs> it, that's <laughs> it. So it was, uh, no, we said, but now, in hindsight, this was a great time to launch something because so we're moving into the office in 2009, the recession has hit, there's loads of offices for next to nothing available, so we found there's a lovely office for uh, very small money. Uh, that suited us perfectly. So it was great in that way. You know, if he had, had tried to do that two years before, the cost of the office would have been very, very different. Was it
1: Winston Churchill is it never waste a never-waste-a-good crisis. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and presumably then you benefited from, you know, really good quality employees for the same yeah. reason.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's loads of people who were out of a job for not, you know, for, not for their fault, but just because of the recession. And keep in mind the recession also helped us in that... When we started Don Deal in two thousand five, I always thought it was the furniture section that was going to take off first, because that's the one we had used back in Sweden, um, and I was pushing the furniture section, but it just never really took off. I keep it, this was in two thousand five, two thousand six, two thousand seven. No one, in hindsight, no one in Ireland would be seen buying and selling second-hand furniture at that time. You know, if you you bought a new sofa, you threw out the old one. You couldn't sell it because that was just not on. You know, and then suddenly when a recession hits all this furniture starts to show up on the website. And I remember one, uh, one section on the website was great as well to see. You could see the recession hitting. It was the jacuzzi section, oh. the section. Suddenly one day it was just loads of hot tubs and jacuzzis on the website. And you knew this is people who overspent their time and they need to cut back. Uh, so it's obviously very sad to see it, but for our, our, it was great timing for us. that Suddenly there was an influx of stuff being bought and sold and it became fashionable to buy and sell secondhand stuff. So that really helped Dunhill to grow.
1: So in a way, Dunhill is is an economic indicator. It tells you what the minds of the people are are thinking. You
0: can definitely see trends going. You know what, what's fashionable, what's not fashionable, what's on. You know, and what's what's a level of spend in the country. Definitely,
1: Fred. You you have built one of the most successful selling platforms, but you've done so much more. You have made, I suppose, the ultimate sale that platform has now been sold. We're going to take a little break and come back and talk about that. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. So all of a sudden you find yourself with a burgeoning young business in Wexford a staff and the beginnings of a very serious company. You had your psychology and your HR background through your studies. How did you begin to mould this living organism into what you wanted it to
0: be? Um, well, we, we always had in mind that like, both myself and Geraldine have worked in a number of different companies and you can feel how the culture of a company makes a huge difference for the people working there and how productive they are and and how much you know how, how good their lives are so both myself and Jarlene were very focused that when we were starting to grow the company that we build the, co- the culture right from day one um, and for all my studies and all that I, I knew it was important but I didn't really know what to do about it and thankfully Jarlene was there she had She's one. I'm not going to take any credit for all. I think we built a very good culture in Dundee. It's not thanks to me, it's thanks to Jarlene. She was a driver. I understood how important it was and I supported everything she did to a certain extent. Actually, I'll have to tell you about that. So one of the things we do in the company from day one was, Jarlene said, we're going to have a joint coffee break at 10.30 every day. Uh, well, everyone in the, in the company has to get down to the kitchen, have a cup of coffee and have a chat that's the the rule, and I say, oh yeah that's that's great, I love that culture, but then first day comes along, and we sit there and 10.30 comes along. of course, I think I'm, I'm way too important and'm I'm way too busy to go down and have coffee right now because I'm doing important stuff, so I'm sitting there, and Gerling comes over and pulls me by the ear. Brilliant. Says, no, the rule is we're having coffee, and I say, this is stupid, stupid idea we can't we can't have this, but it only took me a few days before I realized this is the best thing ever, because suddenly you have 15 minutes on a day where you Build a different type of relationship with your colleagues, you get to know them on a personal level. You get to know their families, their kids, their grandparents you know, the good things in life, the bad things in life, and you have a very different relationship. Then, and it makes it much easier to work um, together in, in everything else. And even you now, looking in hindsight as well, so for building that culture, it was a great team building experience that you did it every day, and there was no excuse. And you know, as a, as a leader, as a founder of the company whatever you do sets the tone. That sets the culture. So, so you if can't I was... make
1: a rule, put it on the wall, and expect everybody to follow yeah. it, unless you're doing it. Exactly.
0: Uh, so, so once I realised, oh, no, this is important, and this actually, is actually great as well, because it means that you work very focused up on the 10.30, because you know at 10.30, I'll have a great, great break. And then after the break, you've had a great chat, and you're back to work again. Otherwise, it's very easy to work an hour and then you dip, you know, dip into the kitchen for a while and then you dip out and you talk to someone on the way, but then you don't... Yeah, it's it gets very... Like, this way it got very, very focused. So that was one of the best things we ever did and the company still does that today. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a really nice. So there are
1: other beautiful initiatives that you put in place, though.
0: The Another thing we had very early on was something we called Frigging Great Ideas Friday. So every Friday... <clears throat>
1: Is that the sanitized podcast version now, or is that what it was actually called?
0: No, that was it. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's. This was in their company handbook. It's Fantastic. a frigging great, freaking great ideas Friday. Um, we everyone had to show up in the afternoon, Friday afternoon. We meet, um, and everyone has to bring one idea of stuff, something we could improve, whether it's on the product, on the on the website, or if it's in the office, like you know. Put a plant, put a plant in the office, or change a coffee brand that we use, or anything uh, that just made a small improvement. And then, if they were feasible, we'd implement them. And in the beginning, that's very easy because yeah, it's nice to have a plant over there. And maybe we'll have a plant over there, and then we change the coffee brand, and then we do a few things like that. And all those things make for a really nice working environment. That costs—it costs next to nothing to buy a little plant, like.
1: But your people feel invested in it then yeah. as well.
0: and they realise that, you know, it's up to them actually to come with the ideas. And very often if they come with the idea, we gave the person then, you know, here's 50 euros, go down to the flower shop, get a plant. Yeah. You know, it's you, you, your job to do it. Yeah. You know, so we just encourage it. Um, but also what happens is, after a few months, the ideas are not so easy anymore. Because we have a plant there, and we have a plant there, and we have a good coffee brand, and we have... All those easy ones are gone. And suddenly you get to a stage where, in the Friday morning, you, you everyone sits down and <laughs> go do you have something for, for, for the frigging great idea Friday? No, I don't. I, you know, to try and steal each other ideas that's and so stuff funny. as well. And that's when you really realise that you start to push yourself a little bit. And that's when the really good ideas come out. Brilliant. Because the easy ones are done, but these now it's more complex ones. and But I think that set the tone of um, that, you know, we want to continuously improve. Even the small stuff, the small things are very, very important. Uh, I think that was always a part. Now, once you get to a certain size, you can't do that with everyone. Yeah. So we, we had to stop it after a while. But I think it set a tone for the first few years um, and for the growth of the company.
1: And I think you also implemented um, an initiative to give a percentage of profits.
0: Yeah, we did that very early on. Um, we call it charity month. We said uh, you know, the company was doing well, so we said we, we we need to do something here to give back to the community. And we said we but we wanted to be not the company giving money back to the community. We wanted to be the staff, the team, the you know from them personally, not from not from me as a as a founder of Dundee, but from everyone. So we set in place this routine that every second month we take five percent of the turnover, basically, and we allocate that to, to charity. And then we rotate who got to give. Money to their charity, Beautiful. so each month. So I was on the roster like everyone else. So one month it was my turn. So I would have to go to the charity, talk to them and say I'd, I'd like to give you some money at the the end of the the month here, you know. And I, but I want to get a few photos. It's not all about the money. It's about promoting on the website yes. as well. We write about you. We blog about you. But I had to write the blog post. You know, I had to get the photos. It was about my my job. And then um, at the end of the month, we knew how much money we would made, and I. A cheque and I go down to the charity again. I give them the cheque and I get a handshake and I get a few more photos and write about it again on the blog. So it was really about getting each person to do that bit to make them feel it was them giving the money, it wasn't the done deal giving money. Fantastic, it was was them, and I think it really made a difference. And just to finish off, a big thing of that was it it was great and it really helped us, I think, keep staff happy in the keep staff in the company, you know, and they all felt uh, part of the community. But we reached a really big milestone right at the end when we sold the company. Uh, just before we left the company, we'd reached 1 million uh, euros in donations. And it was a really nice feeling to do that just before we left the company. That is
1: it's, fantastic. Uh, fantastic. It really made an impact. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, the sense of the partnership that yourself and Geraldine have is, is very strong. <clears throat> and, and from the get go, your roles seem to have been very clearly defined. Is that is that yeah, right well,
0: to say that? There, obviously, there's a time there when we were finding our roles, but yeah, I, th- I think in, in, in the big picture, it did, we did find our roles very.
1: So, in business quickly. terms, then explain that to me. Uh,
0: in the early days, she was a project manager. I was a techie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then she took over marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was product became more product manager, maybe. Um, and then I, beke- but so we, we were. Also, I, I was more on the hands-on programming side. Yeah. She was more on the managing. Um, like she was looked after the culture. She looked after marketing. So we, we, we had a. I mean, we knew each other. We've been married for a few years, so we knew each other quite well. You know, so we, we could play to each other's strengths. But obviously, yeah, there would be times when you're, you drive each other mad as well. But that's. That's life. That's life. That's marriage in any, you know. And, and
1: how the did the how did the organisation structure itself then in terms of um, uh, did you have an advisory board? Did you did you have a, a board of directors? How did it grow?
0: We we never got a. We had a few advisors that we pulled on every now and then for for uh, ideas and for questions. Um, so people like friends from previous jobs and things like that that helped us out. We also very quickly got in place, so I think our fifth hire in the company was a COO. So we, first we hired some customer support staff, another techie, mm-hmm. but then we quickly hired a COO, chief operations officer, yes. someone to actually help run the company. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and he was actually a boss, he was my boss in a previous job. So I knew he was a good boss, a good person to work under. He was a good manager. He would help you as a techie, you know, shelter you from all the distractions yes. around, uh, and then we—we'd so always complete. We got along very well when we worked together, and then suddenly, when we needed someone to basically manage the company, I said, "This guy is is perfect match." So we he we got him on board. Where did he come from? Uh,
1: did, did he move to Wexford to be? No, good? he lived in Wexford. He lived? Oh, yeah. fantastic! He
0: lived in Wexford. Yeah, we worked together in Wexford. Okay. And, um, but what it meant was. Because at this stage then, he was CEO, so I had to have the title of CEO, just to make sure I was you know, the top man, very important. So we went from a relationship where he used to be my boss, and suddenly I was his boss. And later on, when we sold the company, he was appointed CEO, and I was reporting into him for a while, but then he was reporting to me on the board, because I was on the board then, at that stage. But that you you only get away with those weird setups for a while. Yes, you know if if you know each other well. Yes, you, it lasts for it went okay for for a couple of years, but you can't do that forever. But, um, and so, but
1: what was Geraldine's title at this stage then?
0: When he came on board, she's she was on the she was marketing manager. Yes. at that stage, and then she left soon after that. Okay, um, and we hired another marketing person. So.
1: The other thing I want to ask you about um, is finances, because finances again, you had you'd done a little bit of studying in, in the area. Were you in control of, of uh, the financial governance of the organisation at this time? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, now, the company was profitable, reasonably profitable from quite early on. So, finances is not an issue then. Okay. It's quite, you know...
1: What a nice situation uh, to be in.
0: Oh, and, and in hindsight, you know, that we had easy business model because everyone paid up front. If you wanted the ad on the website, you had to pay. It wasn't you know pay after we didn't have we never had to chase any invoices we never had to do any of that and all that was automatic it was all online it just came into the account so uh, when you when i say finances it was just to make sure that we weren't overspending or <clears throat> that we had enough money in in the in the bank and
1: basically it was
0: the dream business oh it was so handy you know, and no stock, so no... So handy.
1: Understatement of the century.
0: Yeah, well, obviously, it didn't feel like it at the time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, after Dundee I've been involved in a few other businesses that have inventory and stock, and they have to order stuff six months in advance. And, Friction
1: points all over and, the I place.
0: Know, this is impossible. How do you run a business like this? Yeah. <laughs> it's much easier when you don't have any stock, you don't own anything, you know, you just... And people so you pay up you didn't even
1: realise how lucky you guys oh, were no, at the no, time? You
0: don't at the time, no, no. You have no Amazing.
1: Idea. No. Amazing. There must have been some really funny moments.
0: Loads, yeah, of course. The One is actually related to stock. Um, we're sitting in our little office in Wexford, and uh, there's four or five of us in the company. We, I mean, we we're hide away because we didn't want anyone to know where our office was, because we, all our interaction should be on the website. We didn't want the people in the office. Um, so we had no signs outside or anything saying where the office is, and we had no receptionist because there was no one ever coming to the company. So we're sitting there working away, and suddenly these two ladies walk in through the door. And I mean we just sit it's like the door here and we sit here programming and they start looking around the office and they start looking. And we have a few press clips on the on the way on the wall there. Uh, and I look at them, I go, sorry, can can I help you? And they look over to me, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're here to see the Jeeps. They thought we had all those really good I think at the time we had 5,000 cars on the website. They thought we had all those cars somewhere stashed out in the back, you know, in, in the warehouse. And uh that, was, to me, was open up my eyes to, OK, this is... You have built how,
1: something yeah. that has so much more optical power than yeah. you had even thought. They obviously
0: people felt that it was part of Dundee. I mean, you know, it was actually f- very flattering that people felt this is Dundee, they are that size, that they can actually store 5,000 cars. Amazing. And at the time, we had an office of, you know, 45 square metres or something. That was it. So,
1: in a way, <laughs> you know,
0: your model of, of not <coughs> holding any stock was the precursor
1: of... Uber and yeah, you know, yeah, sure.
0: they're all built on the same Airbnb, same idea that absolutely just be the middle hand, middle man, yeah, making the connections amazing. You know, and so, it's easy to scale.
1: I know, I know you sold a few houses in yeah. your time. Uh, plane,
0: we had, yeah, we had a, a, a plane on the website on one stage. We got an email, like, we had. A number of sections on the website where you put stuff in, so uh, furniture, cars, um, cameras, you know, all this kind of so stuff. So preloaded categories. Yeah, exactly. And and we grew those categories as as the website grew. And one day we get uh, an email from a lady and she says, um, "I'm I'm trying to sell my plane, but I can't find the plane category." <laughs> and we go, "Yeah, okay, so, sorry, we we don't have a plane category yet." <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're but, working on yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> so, you know, because we set that up once. We have a number of planes, you know. but So, if you don't mind, we'll, we'll give you a free voucher, because we figured it's no way she's going to sell a plane on Dondeal. So, so, we'll give you a free voucher here. You, you can put it up in the other category. And I said, oh, sure, I'll do that. She put it up on the site, and we thought it was the greatest thing ever to see a plane on, on the website, you know. Uh, and then, a couple of weeks later, she emails us, and she says, thanks very much, I sold the plane. <laughs> I love it, the website. And it goes, Jesus, this is brilliant. but we still can't have a plane section, because the plane sold too quick. You know, we need to have five or six planes before. So we still, I don't think there's still a plane section on That's the website. That's very unfortunately. funny.
1: But, but anything <laughs> can live in other.
0: It's yeah, and, and it actually sells. Sells. You know, to me that was amazing. Like to be able to sell a plane.
1: That is amazing. It's
0: weird, weird feeling. We had a few other weird th- stuff on the website. At one stage we had life size statues of the Blues Brothers. Someone had two life-size statues and a were photos in their home, in their uh, living room. I was going, I'd love to have that in my living room. We're,
1: what were you tempted by? There have to have been things along I the way. Was,
0: I was very tempted on that, but they were up in the north, so it was just too far to go and get them. And, and we lived in a very small house at yes. Time. So, yes, I don't think <laughs> journey would have been too impressed. Hilarious! That is brilliant. You get all these, you know, weird and wonderful things. And one section that is amazing is the farming section. Uh, it's, it's always done very well, and I, I guess you know this farming psyche is very much about wheeling and dealing, and you know yeah. reusing stuff, in fairness, yes. and, and buying second hand and get the most out of things. Um, so it's always a very interesting s- section. So when you go in there, you see tools there, and I look at them and I go, I have no idea what that tool is doing. But
1: I really want it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 it looks really cool. Like a little big machinery, you know. Fantastic, uh, fantastic. Um, yeah.
1: So you. I guess any, any founder is ultimately a salesperson. Um, they, they have to be able to sell their idea. They have to be able to yeah. uh, sell their service or product. Um, in your time, what are the key tips that you have seen, either that you've developed yourself or that you've seen people de- develop on the platform for selling?
0: Well, if I look at what works on Dondeal, it's it's really about, one you only have a little bit of space you have this space on on a, a web page so the biggest thing is photos it's you know you can write all this text about what what the sofa has and or the car especially cars they get this long line of loads of stiff stuff that the car has it has alloys wheels and blah blah blah, blah. no one really show just, me the car Yeah, it's too much to read you know <laughs> so it's really about the fo- the focus is on the pictures take really good pictures and if you think about it, then again about a car, you know, what do people do when they go and look at a car? If they look at it in real life, well, they sit in. So they sit in, feel the, the steering wheel, they look at the wheels. They might actually kick the wheels. No one knows why they're <laughs> supposed to, but everyone seems to do it. So when you put up a, when you're trying to sell that car, you should do the same photos. Yes. You should have photos of the wheels, close yeah. up, a
1: kickable no. wheel. Yeah. Yes.
0: You should have photos of the steering wheel. You should have photos of everywhere where people would normally be nosy and stick their head in, you know, under the bonnet. Fantastic. Have a photo of it because all that, that makes them feel that now I've actually seen the car. It just, I, it's just as good as if I've actually been there to touch it myself. And the people can actually buy things then without having to go and see it.
1: And so, <laughs> would it be fair to say that a lot of the same principles need to be used when you're preparing your own business for selling?
0: It's about showing, understanding what do these people want to know? About my business, and then show them that. So because if you try to hide it, it's very, it gets very obvious very, very quickly.
1: Absolutely, and we'll, we'll come to that in a little bit more detail. <clears throat> I, I, I'd love to know at what point you um, began to prepare the business for sale.
0: Um, part of it was always when we started the business. We, we'd seen the success the similar website had in Sweden, so we knew it, if we were lucky. And they had sold? They had sold, yeah. Yes. We knew there could be a certain size of business, that it could be a very, very attractive business. We knew it was likely that we were going to be approached by people uh, because we'd seen that happen in other countries. But one thing we said from day one, we said it feels a bit weird to build a business to sell. But we said, well, let's build a business that we might not sell it, but let's build a sellable business. So that changed our mindset a little bit because... In a sellable business, if we, if we were to sell the business ever, we needed to have a team that took over after us. You know, you, you talk about these key person. Um, you can't have, like, the business can't depend on me. Because if I sell the business and I leave and the business falls apart, no one wants to buy that business. So that was part maybe of hiring the CEO very early on. We said we, had, we had, have to build a management team. That doesn't distract yourself. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we sell the business. It might mean that we still own the business, but we sit on a beach in Spain Owning the business, and we don't actually work in the business so much. So that was a that's what I mean by building a sellable business. Doesn't mean that you sell it, but it means that you might be able to extract yourself from the daily running of it. And, have
1: and again, that shows such incredible foresight that you probably take for granted but it is one of the biggest challenges for business owners
0: you might might call it foresight i I call it being lazy Ah! i
1: I don't think you're lazy i think you i think you like life Uh, that's a different thing yeah
0: okay yeah fair enough absolutely but yeah so i mean there was always in there in in our psyche that we were building building a business that could stand on its own feet um and then you get too busy Growing the business that you don 't really think about we, we got approached a little bit by um, some Irish media companies and stuff that were a bit interested, but you know we weren 't at the stage at the time. We, we had a few discussions just to get our heads around. We realized very quickly this this wasn 't suitable for us at, at the time. We were still growing too much and too focused on that um, <clears throat> and then suddenly, one day we get a call from sheepstead it 's a Norwegian media company uh, with with a weird name. <laughs> Uh, they called Sheepstead, but they had actually owned they owned that Swedish website. Interesting. And they rang. They said they wanted to meet for a coffee, and uh, it felt a bit weird in that. I mean, we'd basically stolen their ID from Sweden, moved it to Ireland, set it up, and uh, now we were going to try to potentially sell it back to them. You know, it, it felt there was, something felt a bit weird there. But it there was okay yeah. from this side yeah. of the table. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay as well. But um, what happened then as well was it, it was a bit weird. Because so we met up with these guys and they were, they were very friendly, and very approachable, like very non. What's good? Confrontational. Yes, that's the word. You know, we met over coffee and it was just a chat, but you very quickly realised they all, because they ran similar websites in twenty other countries. They know this space very much in in great detail. So there was times when they said to me that, okay, you have so many ads in this section. That probably means that you have blah 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 this and blah 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 over here. And I go, oh yeah yeah, I think that sounds about right. I had no idea. We never looked at these numbers. We looked at some of the top numbers, you know. And so I, they had
1: all the deep dive data around everything that was happening. Yeah,
0: and you go back to the office and you say, let's look at these numbers and they were spot on. Wow. So they knew, it was almost like they knew our business better than we did. Wow. So that was a bit daunting.
1: And what what, what was the timeline around that? What when, <clears throat> when did that phone call and that cup, cup of coffee happen?
0: Um, I think that was maybe uh, March or April 2011.
1: And, and. Just let us know then, when did the EOI programme happen for you?
0: Uh, that was twenty ten. That was okay. the year before.
1: So and and how how impactful was that then in terms of preparing you for what came the year
0: after? I think well there's two parts to it. One, mentally being part of the EOI programme was was very flattering to be invited you. You know, suddenly you felt, oh, you know, you meet all these other real business people, you know, who have actually built big business. Our company was still six employees, I think, at the time. So, we were a very small business, and in my mind, you know, a tiny little operation.
1: A very small business, which uh, had a turnover of 4.5 billion at one point, is that right?
0: Well, that's the yeah, items that were tiny sold. Little, sold on the, that was that's not our, That's not our turnover. Yes. That's all the stuff that was sold on the website, yeah. We, that is phenomenal. We sold, and it's we sold funny stuff because for £4 billion, yeah,
1: You spoke at the very start about metrics for yeah. biggest. Yeah. And, and they're not always the headcount, right? And I think that's yeah. a mistake that people make. Yeah, the success yeah, yeah, of incredible. your business it, is around... Its effectiveness and it did what it did really, really well, and does what it does really, really well yeah. without friction. That's uh, a beautiful
0: thing. Thank you. Yeah, it's very to me. It's very flattering that six hundred thousand people in Ireland go onto Don Deal every day. Six hundred thousand people that's every phenomenal. single day go onto the website and use it and, and enjoy it and look at and buy and sell stuff on it. And maybe that that number is probably higher now. But that's when we were leaving. And yet, you're humbled by uh, EOI
1: calling and saying come on the programme.
0: Yeah, well, at the time, we probably we weren't, didn't have quite those numbers either. So, um, But it, it was a stamp of approval from someone outside that you know suddenly it felt like we're doing something right. So I think that helped with the mindset when you go into the negotiations with some, any other party that you feel that oh, actually someone else has given the stamp of approval that helps you in the outset of the negotiations. The other part of it was through the EOI you get a huge network of people who have are in different stages of business and a lot of them have gone through exactly the same thing of selling their business, setting up a business, selling the business and they're out on the other side. And suddenly you have this network of people that I could chat to and say, well, how did you handle this? How did What happened when you sold your business? What do you, what do, you do after? Because people forget that but selling a business is not only about selling the business. It's not about numbers for whatever you can get for the company. It's about, uh, one, it's about well, what happens to the team and the, and the office when you leave? Because you've, I've been working with these people for years, sitting right next to them. So you want to make sure that whatever happens, that the office isn't closed and moved to Dublin or something like that happens. And the other part is, what happens to me when I'm not in Dundee anymore? Like I, I was used to walking around in Wexford and people, a lot of people would call me Mr. Dundeele and which is very flattering. But then if we sell the business, who am I then? I'm I'm nobody, you know. Fred,
1: I don't think anybody could ever say that except you. So, this is the big question. The problem of success. What happens to the business owner when the business is sold?
0: Yeah, um, a big part of that, a big relief for me was when I realised that even though I sell the business, I'm always the founder of Dundee. And that was a huge part to me, because I felt that I'm not necessarily losing Dundee when we sell it. I'm still always gonna be part of Dundee. I can always call myself founder of Dundee. It doesn't matter what happens to the business. So that was a big part of my my own identity. <clears throat> and then the next question is, well, what do I do when I'm not going into the Dundee office? Um, and in hindsight, I probably did the wrong thing, because the deal we did with Sheepstead was I, I was facing out over a couple of years. Um, and meanwhile then I started to phase into other businesses. so I started investing in a few other companies as uh, to a few other websites I started working on their boards uh, getting a bit of active involvement in them and I never really had a break in, after selling the business and in hindsight when I've spoken to other people I've realized that some people they, they sell the business and they take a year off they go sailing around the world or, or do something and I think that's it's probably in hindsight that's a good thing to do because it's good for your head because otherwise I ended up investing is in business that were kind of similar to John deal it wasn't a really clean break do you know what i mean it wasn't yeah. quite it wasn't distinct that this is then and this is now so i suddenly i found myself in uh, was an active investor in four companies and spent all my time with it and they were amazing companies amazing products are and you still involved in them i phased out of most of them now i've mm-hmm. sold uh, most of them uh, last year um but they were all very interesting, but they were all over the place. Some were very new, some were very in uh, retail, some were online only, some were... So there was no synergy between them. So that's why last year we decided let's phase out of these, exit as many as possible, <clears throat> and then take a year. So this year I'm actually on a gap year.
1: Fantastic. I'm, tr- I'm
0: doing my best to do as little as possible work-wise. Um, we'll see how long that lasts, but definitely until after the summer I won't be getting involved in anything new. And I... A- Big part of that is to create that headspace and let just things simmer around in the background and see what pops out. And then, hopefully, at the end of this year, I'll have a better plan for okay, if I invest, what do I go after? Do I go for really start startup or more mature companies? Is there a certain industry? Is a there certain there has to be something that binds things together. Otherwise, it's not fair. Like it's great for me, but it's a hobby. If it's all scattered over the place, it's not fair for the companies that I invest in because I can't bring stuff to them. Because there's no synergy between the companies, the other companies I've invested in.
1: So, what is it that makes you tick? What what brings you to that place where you you feel yes, this is the best of me?
0: Well, part of a big part of that is this year is about finding that out, to put that in because you know it's now it's very skewed towards Dunhill. That my experience at Dundee and my experience with the, the investments. So, part of that is to free up the time to let's see what simmers up. But I've always loved this magic merger of technology versus reality, technology versus people. It's so easy as a techie to just get focused on the techie stuff. But the magic with technology happens when everyone can use it. And so I do believe there'd be something around that part where, how do you bring more technology to people in a way that people don't get afraid by the technology? Because a lot of technology can be very, um, Inaccessible. Yeah, you know, scary yeah. to use. You, you know, you can see, like when I see my mother sometimes using the computer, it's, it's always like she's you know, <laughs> afraid of push, pushing the button. And that's an awful feeling. Yeah. You know, but if technology can be more accessible, it can enable so much more.
1: I, I, I think I know the answer to this question, but it is a question that I like to ask. What, what made Dundee a success?
0: I think it was a simplicity. From day one, we had that mother in law test that <clears throat> it has to be usable by everyone. Um, and I think that made it. I, I remember we got an email from a, a person in the early days and they said, I love your website. I only use two websites. I use my bank, big online bank, because I have to. And I use your website because I know how to. And to me, that really summed up the great feeling of this is, we've done something right with this website. Because someone who doesn't dare to use any other website, dares to use our website and use they end up using it a lot then because they love it so to me that was a great moment
1: Fred Carlson thank you so much for your time and uh, your beautiful conversation I'm really excited to see what comes out of uh, me too. this time of fertility <laughs> that you've given yourself can't wait to see what happens uh, yeah. one thing's for sure you're not going to sit in your hands thanks so much thank you Thanks for listening to Joe's Architects of Business in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Thanks to everybody at Maximum Studios and of course to my guest, Fred Carlson. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to get a brand new episode of this fabulous show into your feed for free every fortnight. I'm Sonia Lennon. Thanks for listening and talk soon. The Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs.